from Braided Media. This is 54 Lights. This one's going to be fun. Here's a quote to get us started. The truth is, if we don't write our own stories, there's someone else waiting to do it for us. And those people, waiting with their pens, often don't look like we do and don't have our best interests in mind. End quote. The broader purpose of 54 Lights is to allow people to share their own stories in their own words and with their own energy and emphasis. We do this in service of creative communities with roots and lineage to the great continent. The stories we tell on this show are all about uprooting old narratives of Africa, of Africans, and of people of color at large. In doing so, in telling these stories, we're exposing how culture is truly shaped. Here's another quote. It can be said that the entire story of jazz is actually a story about what can urgently be passed down to someone else before a person expires. Jazz was created by people obsessed with their survival in a time that did not want them to survive. And so it is a genre of myths, of fantasy and dreaming, of drumming on whatever you must and making noise in any way you can before the ability to make noise is taken from you or until the noise is an echo in your own head that won't rest. End quote. The quotes I've been reading are taken from work by my next guest, Hanif Abdurakid. He's a poet, an essayist, and a culture critic based in Columbus, Ohio. Hanif's work has been featured in Muzzle, Vinyl, and Pan American, to name a few. As a music critic, his perspectives have graced the pages, virtual and in print, of course, of Fader, Pitchfork, The New Yorker, and The New York Times. His work is oft grounded in music and society. There are few writers in the world who possess his abilities. His approach to music, his appreciation for all of its genres and textures, and his thoughtful reflections are truly otherworldly. He is the perfect person to headline this mini-series on creatives who shape our world through their words. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. Our goal on this show is to elevate black voices through authentically told stories from Africans those of African descent, or allies of the community. Our work is done in service of rewriting the African narrative and reclaiming the brand that represents people of color. My name is Kondwani Mwase, and the next episode is Postscript. I know that a lot of basketball players want to be, like they want to be rappers, and then... 
rappers want to be basketball players, right? So there's there's yeah. all this this duality of like, hey, I want to be you and you want to be me. So I guess what, what I want to ask you is when you were growing up in, in, in Ohio, I think it's Columbus, Ohio, you're from, um, what did you want to be? I didn't really have a big, you know, what's funny is I, I didn't really have a big concept or understanding of what even a career was. And so the big thing I was notorious for when I was a kid was just kind of being like, if someone did something that I liked or someone was nice, I wanted their job. So um, there was a bakery that still stands actually in the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, and we would go there like every other Friday before school to get like, you know, treats or whatever. And, you know, if for the baker was nice to me. So for a while I was like, I, I want to be a baker. And I really liked, um, I did not like going to the dentist as a kid, but I liked my dentist as a kid, um, Dr. Roland. And so there was a point where I like wanted to be a dentist. And so I didn't really have like, um, you know, any rhyme or reason to anything. It was just kind of like, you know, growing up, it's like, is this person nice? Does this person seem cool? And if the answer was, yeah, then I'd be like, okay, I want to do what they're doing. That's the most genuine answer I've actually heard in a while. So I love that. I love that. So fast forward to, to where you are right now in 2021. Um, if you could do a life swap, right? Um, where, oh. What is what is your, what is the other Hanif doing in that parallel universe of, of, of who knows what? Well, you know, like, a part of me has always just kind of wanted to, like, be a person who worked at a record store and then went home, you know? Mm. Um, Like, that's, um, if there's a cooler answer to that, I I think, um, I don't really have one. I mean, I think a big part of me always wanted to work just selling music to people and talking about music people. Um, Cause I do think, so I have some issues sometimes with the way record store employees and owners or whatnot are portrayed on, on television. Yeah. I was um, going to say, yeah, it's a TV. Cause it's always like, it's always like super snobby and exclusive, you know, like they're, um, and I'm sure it is like that in some places, but every record store person, it's like such a warm spot. You know, you like walk in you know, my, my pal Brett over at Spoonful Records here in Columbus, like I pop in, you know, I pull up on him and his, and his, and his partner who runs the store with him. We just talk for, for a long time about music. And that to me feels like a dream job. The closest I ever got to that was I worked in the music section of a bookstore mm. uh, back in the mid 2000s, back when the CD, you know, it was like the CD boom was um, very present. That is, a, is actually a very, very cool response and maybe one that's perfect given your background and given, given what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, and that is this, this love of music um, and, and how it comes through in your writing. But before I get there, Hanif, I, I do want to ask you, what inspired you to get into writing? Um, well, I think what most inspired me to get into writing was my love of music, my love of trying to articulate, or my, not even a love, but like my desire to want to articulate that love of music in a way that was um, easily understood, that was um, connective mm-hmm. to other people who love music. And so all of it's kind of built by um, growing up in a household where music was really prominent and where music was always playing, but also being the youngest of four. 
which meant that, you know, I got, had access to a lot of music and, and spent a lot of time with a lot of music. But when it came to like listening to my music tastes and opinions, you know, like I was kind of at the bottom of the, um, you know, I was kind of at the end of the table there. Um, and so wanting to connect um, with other people on music was just always such a big thing for me that I didn't feel like I always had access to. Not because I grew up in a home of like uncaring people, but just because when like you're the youngest, you know, it's, it's hard to be taken seriously sometimes. Um, and I was also like not the kind of, you know, I was like a troublemaker and um, not always the best or most. So it was like, you know, like most upstanding young person. So it was easy to like not take me seriously anyway. Uh, <laughs> right. So I'm not lamenting, you know, it's just, um, but I, I got to a point where I kind of wanted to search for that connection with folks. Is there anything about your your background, the family dynamics maybe, that like made you lean towards finding that connection through words, through the written word in particular? Yeah, I mean, my mom wrote, um, you know, she wasn't like a, a published author, but she wrote. And I also grew up in a house where, you know, like reading was really important um and responding to reading was really important you know my parents um would not always just be like you know it wasn't just like well you, you know you got to read this it would be like read this and we want to see you write a response to it um and so like actively engaging with the written word was such a big part of my childhood um and you know that and also, I mean, but I also read a lot for pleasure. But I'm, I'm saying that, um, you know, my parents felt it very important that, you know, my engagement with the written word was was um, pretty robust. And I, I think that that comes through in your in your um, in your writings. I, I want to ask you as well, just to, on that thread, Hanif, is this this idea of you know your love of music, and I'm paraphrasing here, and I hope I'm, I'm okay to use that. Is it your love of music? Um, was maybe an informed your your um, you going into writing about music a lot. Um, some artists need like a, a level of sadness, a level of uh, darkness in order for them to find inspiration in their writing. When I look at some of your work, I see both sadness and love, and there's just a lot of depth to it. So I, I want to ask you. Is, is happiness or contentment like a kryptonite for you to have, like, is it, is it kryptonite for you to write or is it, um, or are you able to write in any sort of emotional headspace? Oh, on the contrary, I think I have a hard time writing when I'm grieving or traumatized or um, unhappy, you mm. know, mm-hmm. um, it's I think contentment you know, contentment in the moment of the work specifically is important to me now. Um, contentment in the broader, like the broader life realm, um, you know, that's a little harder to come by at times. And so, um, but I, I need to be content when I take to the page, which I think, and I think those two are different things. Like, I think that, um, you know, there are points in my life where I'm not, sorry, my dog is very loud and is coming over. That's all right. Um, that's all right. <laughs> You know, there are points where I'm not necessarily content um, broadly in life, but I am seeking out contentment on the page or I'm turning to the page to, to, to 
Uh, seat contemporary. Hello, Wendy. What's your dog's name? Her name is Wendy. And, Wendy, uh, a beautiful uh, dog. <laughs> I've I've seen yeah. it uh, on on your Instagram page, and I've got a question yeah. coming up uh, afterwards about uh, maybe maybe Wendy will be part of that answer. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You're talking about. Oh, no. um, yeah, but I think I think um, the headspace the work exists in, and the the overall like headspace of my living are not always not always the same thing, right? right? Um, which doesn't mean I'm turning to my work to heal myself, but it sometimes means that the pursuit of the work offers me a contentment that I do not find uh, in every moment of life. And I think that the idea is to find a balance so I'm not overwhelmed by, um, you know, my many anxieties or my many, my many griefs or my many sadnesses. Mm -hmm. I realize that there's a level of poetry in, in what you do, or obviously there's poetry in what you do. Um, is there a part of you that feels um, the need to maybe correct people for how they interpret your work? Oh, no. Well, I mean, cause I can't really control that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't control the interpretation of my work, but I can, and I don't even believe in like offering correctives to people or offering you know, like I, I think people are free to interpret my work as they will. And I just cannot get caught up in the, in the process of, of explanation or correction. Right. Um, you know, I, I think I, I just got to do my best in the moment. For sure. For sure. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask you about your reaction to when, when I was, uh, when I read uh, Jay-Z's book, um, I, I don't know why the title's escaping me, but Jay-Z's oh, book. Coded? Yes, that's it. There was a part of me that felt like, oh, you should not have done that because, <laughs> you know, like it was sort of like there's something about letting letting art just be interpreted and not sort of decoding it, um, you know. And so is, is, is it fair to say that you just don't necessarily say that that's something that you want to do is to go and clarify or like, did you have any reaction to that as a as a, as a book or even yeah. as a, a stance? Gosh, I never read, I've never read Decoded, honestly. Oh, okay, okay. It's I mean, not for any kind of like, you know, yeah. it's just like something I haven't peeped. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I simply, I feel most commonly that I don't necessarily want to get, I worry about what it would mean to get overly caught up in the work of explanation or um, in the work of clarification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think that in my case, at least, that would um, take me pretty far away from what I believe is gratifying about the work and that sustains me about the work. Do you write for yourself or do you write for others? I think ultimately I write for myself in a way, or at least I write to fulfill um, the many curiosities I hold, I believe. and try to um, bring a clarity to them, not looking for answers, but looking for a better way to be curious, mm. um, looking for more questions I can enter the world with. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at always. And so I, I suppose that is um, in one very big way writing for myself. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into my, my questions about uh, Go Ahead in the Rain. And this is kind of funny. I was trying, I was struggling with how to phrase this question to you because I, I just, I had this, this, this conversation with my family and my, my wife and, and say, 
where was Hanif's uh, headspace when he when he uh, wrote it and then put it out into the universe? But I think uh, I'm going to quote a book, uh, uh, sorry, a line from They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, which is another fantastic uh, piece of work that you've done. Um, and this is the this is the crux of it. So I'll, I'll read this quote to you. And just I don't know if you remember this line because you've written so many, but um, this is this is the crux of the question I have for you in relation to Go Ahead and the Rainbow. So it's a quote that says, I may not come down on the same side of that as everyone who listens to chance, but what chance does is what the best artists of color manage to do in this setting, makes music facing his people while also leaving the door open for everyone else to try and work their way in. Now, I thought that was a really poignant line and the reason why I was read it, although horribly, sorry, the reason why I read it out to you, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the reason why I, I, I put that out there was, when I looked at Go Ahead in the Rain, there was a part of me that felt that it is almost, it, it's such a poignant piece of work for people who know and understand tribe and know or understand hip hop. But it also feels that you left the door open for people who are just music lovers, for people who are just have this nostalgia about growing up. So my question is, how do you react to that? Do you feel that you did that, that you left the door open for people who are not tribe listeners, who are not tribe fans to associate and love the book? Um, or were you not even thinking about that when you conceived of it? Oh, in some ways I was thinking about that in short because I wanted it to be a book that is about fandom and about loving, like having a lifelong relationship with a band or with an album or with some songs, you know? That felt more important to me than having people required to know everything about Tribe or everything about hip hop. Although of course, you know, there's a great deal of the book that um, requires at least some level of understanding of hip hop. Um, but, you know, I think that my hope with the book was that on a larger scale, it was thinking through the complexities of affection for any group, but, but yeah, particularly for that one. Yeah, that's, a, that's perfectly put. And I think it is, it is something that I find uh, threads through at least a couple of, of your work in terms of like, you are a fan. Uh, it's almost like you are, you are looking at this from the perspective of fandom as you said. Um, where do you get that appreciation of all different types of music? Because that's another thing that I find really unique about your style and your critiques and your um, um, interactions with, with music is that you, you do open yourself up to different types of music and appreciate it as a fan. So where does that, where does that come from? And is that a difficult process? No, I mean, I think, so it's not difficult, but I think that it does come primarily from, um, so I grew up in a house again with four older siblings and two parents who love music, but more importantly, I grew up in the early mid nineties where I think a lot of what was happening um, around a lot of the like black folks I knew who were growing up teenagers then was that they were kind of just latching, you know, there's like the college radio boom, which happened here because Columbus is a big college town. Mm -hmm. um, and there was like, you know, like Headbangers Ball would come on MTV right after you MTV raps. Mm -hmm. And so there was this kind of this um, curiosity that pushed people into all kinds of genres beyond, you know, like I grew up first listening to hip hop and R&B and soul music. But 
by the time I was like 13, I was listening to grunge, I was listening to metal, I was listening to punk. Um, you know, so all of this is, you know, I owe it to, to the elders I had around me who were exploring music at a time when I was forming my music taste, which, uh, you know, is something I'm immensely thankful for. Hmm. What, when you look at Go Ahead in the Rain, what is, where, where does that stand in terms of the books that you've you've written? And I, I know that's that's maybe that's akin to asking which children do you like the best. But like, wh- where does that stand in terms of you from an emotional perspective? Oh, um, that is a good question. I don't know that I think about. I never really think about the books like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, in part because I feel like when I'm done with them, I, I'm very done with them. Not in just like in an emotional way, like once they no longer belong to me, they belong to everyone else. And in order for me to keep, I think, a healthy relationship with my own work, um, I need to have a really clear understanding of that, of that fact that, you know, the book, I cannot feel too emotionally precious about the book because it, it belongs to everyone else now. Um, and so I don't know if I have a favor. I mean, I will say that, um, you know, Little Devil in America was the most fun I've ever had writing a book. Yeah. And, um, okay. Which all the other ones were too, but like Go Ahead in the Rain, you know, it was like a, a somewhat challenging process at times. Um, and, you know, I, I've been thinking about... Um, Why was it challenging, any if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I mean, I, I think um, because so much of it is memoir, right? Like, mm-hmm. to, you know, like Tribe Call Quest is a scaffolding. Um, but so much of the book is actually memoir, trying to serve the, the function of memoir. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's that. I mean, I, as, as I come up on the release of A Little Devil in America, I feel myself kind of mourning it um, because that book will no longer belong to me. And I had such a, <laughs> you've got you've you know, to give it up to the world, right? And if you've yeah. got to give it up to the world. So, so let's, 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 let's make that transition while we're here. Um, a Little Devil in America is coming out, I think, at the end of March 2021. Um, I've got it on pre-order. Oh, sorry. Let me just double click on that. Is, is that correct? It's coming out at the end of this month, yeah. right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. Really looking forward to it. Have really had some interesting bits of, of feedback in terms of people really lauding it, it coming out. Can you shed light on why you wrote this book? Uh, I mean, it's it's notes of praise from Black performance. I think is the sub uh, subtitle to that. Yeah, notes of praise of Black performance. I, yeah, I mean, I wanted to write a book that um, felt to me to be celebratory, um, and that to me felt like um, you know as pleasure driven as I felt and as, as driven towards pleasure and exuberance as I felt, you know, watching the many soul train lines that I watched in the process of, of writing like the opening essay, you know, it, it dawned on me that there was so much to be excited about in the name of, of performance and then in the name of um, the history of, of black performance. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much pleasure and it was, thrilling in a way for me to spend time with the book and see how I could transform um, some ideas I had about, you know, arriving to greatness only through pain or anguish or, you know, and I, I really wanted to spend some time 
being critical and being honest, but also very celebratory. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this view is really about the performance as a, as a whole, rather than uh, the, the a, a sliver of, of a song or a, an, an album. It's really about the performance. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, yeah, but it's also a book that tries to complicate the definition of performance and what mm. performance is. And so, you know, there's an essay about playing spades and how playing spades is a type of performance. And mm. there's an essay about, um, you know, softness and affection. And so it's, it's, for me, it's like broadening the idea of performance and seeing how far I could stretch it, which was, um, you know, a very pleasurable uh, journey to be on. One of the reviews that uh, I read talked about that it was highlighting amazing moments of performance, but also the price paid for them. So there, there is this, I, I assume that there is a, a little bit of tension that you expose in there as, as well as part of it. Yeah, I mean, from time to time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, triumph in performance does not always come um, without some consequence for everyone immersed in, immersed in the performance. And so, you know, I did want to honor that as well. Is there anything um, that we should note about the timing of this release? Like, what, is, there, is there any significance to that other than... Um, no. <laughs> than, I wish than... I had a cool answer. No, sometimes it's real, right? Like, it's just yeah, like, that's, hey. just a, that's the time they pick. Um, <laughs> right. Which is, you know, for me, um, initially, I will say that initially this book was going to come out um, last year, okay. but in a way, well, one, it wasn't ready. It wasn't the book I wanted it to be, but also I was a little bit averse to having it release in an election year, in this particular election year. Um, and I did not want it to get lost in I wanted it to be fully seen as a celebratory book and not kind of thrown up against the backdrop of um, American theater. Yeah, yeah, which is another another type of performance, but we won't, this, that's for perhaps another yeah. conversation altogether. <laughs> um, I love the, 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 the words you just used or the, the phrase you just um, talked about there is the book that you wanted it to be. And one of the things that I find absolutely stunning and and, Apropos um, for the work that you do and my appreciation for it is your book covers and your titles to be and, and the titles. So I guess I want you know sort of the, the simple question is how much how immersed are you in that process? Oh yeah, I'm really committed to the both the title and the book cover. I mean, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the process of book cover making. Um, and book cover, you know, like. Um, is that a collaborative thing, Hanif? Or, yeah, or yeah I mean, it's, yeah. Often, it's often very collaborative, but I, I, I do take a, a really active role in that because, yeah. you know, it feels vital to me to have a say in the shape and feel and the how a book lives and breathes and, uh, and how a book presents itself to the world. And I am someone who is really immensely invested in aesthetics and, and have always been obsessed with album covers that I'm drawn to. <laughs> right. um, and to, you know, it's, it's a privilege to get a little bit of control over um, what a book cover can look like. And I, you know, I, I, I try to, to, I try to honor that the best I can. 
people who do the solo, like it's, it's not, I'm not saying that writing is a solo exercise, but it is one where, you know, for the most part, you are, you are doing that yourself. It's just Hanif. But then maybe when you stretch out now and you were talking about the book cover, you might really inform that with whomever is the designer or whatever, and they're executing on your thoughts. But do, does that create a moment of tension for you? Because you're like, you know, I need this to be this and it's not translating or do you find that you just have a nice dance and it works out really well all the time? Oh yeah. It's always like a really generous and thoughtful dance, I think. Mm. And um, it's also, you know, I'm grateful for the collaboration and the ability to collaborate um, because a big part of that for me is um having someone who is, you know, in some ways willing to tell me that I'm maybe too close to the, the situation to uh, be able to effectively offer anything thoughtful, you know, beyond a certain point. Um, or to some, someone to steer me away from these impulses around perfection. You know, I don't really like to consider myself a perfectionist because I think, you know, to be a perfectionist is kind of um, almost always at the expense of someone else who's working alongside me. Right. Um, and so, you know, it is uh, really good for me to collaborate because wow. uh, yeah. to have a voice other than mine uh, helping to steer a process is, is always useful. Oh, that's, that's really uh, nice. It's, it's nice to hear, but I'm, I'm going I'm to nitpick on one of the words that you said you're not a perfectionist because one of the questions I had originally, and I, I, gotta, I know we've only got uh, about 15 minutes left, so I just want to make sure I'm mindful of that. But um, one of the things that I noticed in reading your uh, your works, whether it's Go Ahead in the Rain or They uh, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us or some of the essays that I've seen online as well, is I do have a, like, it feels like every word or every page or every chapter has been finessed and massaged in such a way that it is pure, like that it is perfection. And I'm, I'm being a big fan now. So you know, obviously people who are listening will see that I'm a fan of, of your work, but um, like, do, do you go painstakingly through the process of saying, no, I've got to rewrite that. I've got to rewrite that. I've got to rewrite that. Or does it just sort of flow and you, you let it be? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that for me, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm very much big on letting the work tell me what it needs and what it needs to do and what shape it needs to take. So there's a level of flow to it um, that I try to honor. Um, and there's a level of flow to it that I try to kind of cultivate on my own. But I also try to be like really richly aware of understanding when I need to pull back uh, when I need to offer something else or something different to the work. You know, it's not like I just kind of let it flow and then one draft in, I give myself a pat on the back. Um, but I, I like to think of the drafting process as a generous process and one that brings me closer, not only to a fullness of self, but a fullness of the potential to get close to something miraculous that only existed in my head. Understanding that I can never you know, I have yet to write something that is fully formed the way it felt in my head. And I'm, I don't necessarily feel all that beholden to that. Um, but I like a process that gets me close to that. Um, 
And I like honoring the process that brings me close to that. What's the process that gets you closest to that, to that level of perfection where you're able to, to plant a seed or to, to make it emerge from, from, uh, from what's in your head? You know, I think research falls, you know, I think research is a part of my process that um, I believe in research as, as a, a type of heavy lifting that, that helps me understand myself better or helps me understand my ideas better, the things I'm chasing a bit better, um, in part because research offers confirmation of not just my own history, not my personal history, but a history of a life and a world that existed before mine, a history that I'm, a history that I'm like dreaming out, I'm trying to dream out in my work. Also, spending time kind of deeply immersed in research um, offers excitement for me because it opens up new windows. Mm. So through the process of research, I'm finding things I didn't expect to find and I'm returning to things I didn't expect to return to. Um, and that is really vital for me. That helps me feel like, um, helps me feel like I'm close, you know, I'm getting close to something even if it's not something I set out to get close to. That's great, uh, great bit of advice for anybody who's, who's jumping into this art. Um, listen, I've got about uh, a handful of questions for you um, in, a, in a part that I usually typically, typically call sort of rapid fire. So it's the first thing that kind of comes to mind. Are, are you okay to go for just a few more minutes on that one? Sure. Perfect. Okay, so if you will allow yourself to imagine a world where we are not living through a pandemic, so we can sort of move about quote unquote, freely. Um, the question is, or the setting, so the setting there is that you have effectively 24 hours of freedom. What show are you going to go to um, if you were only able to see one show? Um, well, that's interesting because I feel like it would be a, I just want to go to like a small show. I'd want to go to a small local show. There's a band here called Mungbean and I love the album they put out last year. And, you know, if they played like a small intimate show here, I'd want to go to it and be among, you know, be among the people in the city I really love seeing. And, you know, the shows I miss aren't necessarily the big shows. Mm -hmm. um, the shows I miss are kind of the, the small local shows where I get to be out and see everyone I know. Fantastic. Um, what's the meal you're ordering? before you go out to that show or you're making? I don't know, I didn't ask you if you were a chef or uh, are you a chef or are you a taster or what, what's the, which one? Well, I'm not a chef, uh, <laughs> but I have to, you know, like kind of by default, um, I have to, to bake <laughs> or, or cook mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because I am like alone in my house and if I don't cook, I don't eat. Um, <laughs> so, quite simply, I have to cook. Um, so I probably just cook. I would, I would, you know, I, I enjoy making risotto. I haven't made risotto in a while because um, I just haven't had the time, but I would love to, to get back to that if, I, if the time arises. Fantastic. All right. So you're making yourself some risotto. You're going to see a local group uh, with, with somewhere, somewhere in, in Columbus. Who's joining you along the way? Uh, is it Wendy? Is it somebody else? Uh, right. Like, who, who are you taking along for that, for that ride? Well, not Wendy, because she doesn't, the outside world scares her, as it does oh. me now. 
<laughs> so for, at, at this point, I would just take anyone who wanted to go, you know, like, absolutely at this point, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to be out in the world with whoever wants to be out in the world with me. As I was reading some of your books, I was wondering, you, you seem to have a comfort with just sort of going and exploring new places, whether you're alone or whether you're in groups with your friends, uh, and you're just able to just go into experience whatever show you're going to. Is that, is that fair to say? Is that, what, is that yeah. who you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when I was younger, I used to really rely on going out into the world. Um, I needed other people with me. Yeah. But now, you know, I'm so fine with, with just running out into the unknown and seeing people when I get there. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I got three more questions then. Um, you can read one person's book. Only one person? Um, yeah. Well, one of the first poetry books I fell in love with was The Last Time I Saw Amelia Earhart by Gabrielle Calvacaresi. And I, I mean, that's, I would always want to have that book with me. Um, okay, you can, uh, over the course of this 24 hours, you're going to get a chance to spend two hours with two different people. Um, who are those two people? Uh, alive um, or dead, alive or dead. I was, I was going to take a bet on, on who you'd pick, but go ahead. Oh, you know, this is like maybe unspectacular, but to me, you know, like before the pandemic, I would spend a lot of time um, in, the, in, in the prisons here working with a couple writers and um, working with some writers and, you know, haven't been able to see them since the pandemic hit. Right. You know, we correspond a little bit from time to time, but even that's been a challenge. So I, I would pop, I would slide through and say what's up to them. I'm not some, you know, like I, for me, I'm someone who's like pretty content just kind of where I'm at, you know, with, with, um, and so the people I want to see most are very much like the people I love and miss who I used to see and now have not seen in a long time. In the book about your life, what, what is, what is the, uh, what's the name of the book about Hanif? What's the title? Oh, of that book? Sorry. What's the title? of that book? I don't know. I feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm terrified to even think about it. Um, <laughs> Why is that? You could write. You could write a memoir today. You're, you've you've done enough. Yeah. You've seen enough. You even about the writing process. I'm also um, I'm also just bad. You know, I'm bad at on the spot titling, which I oh, think people okay. yeah. people I, I you know like maybe rightfully are like, wow, you're so good at titles, and I appreciate that. Um, but it takes me so long to work up an effective title, and also none of the titles of my books. Um, let me make sure this is true. Yeah, none of the titles of my books have been my own language, which I think is an important caveat. Interesting. So I'm, I'm pretty bad at titling because none of my titles, um, all of my titles have been lifted from other, oh, that's like other interesting. songs yeah. or quotes from TV shows or whatever. And so I think I'm very good at curating a longer line to create an effective gripping title. But I don't know if I'm very good at manufacturing language for a title on my own. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Really looking forward to, to your, uh, your new book. And um, thank you again for the time, sir. No, thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it. The conversation continues. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Culturalite Studios, the soundstage and auditory office of 54 Lights. Because Hanif is such a fan of hip-hop, 
we felt compelled to switch up our music selection for today. By special and warranted exception, music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed with permission by my friend at E-Roll Beats. Many of the quotes that I have read throughout the show come courtesy of our guest, Hanif, and stem from his great work. Whether you're an avid reader or not, you should really pick up and enjoy some of his books. Go Ahead in the Rain, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us, A Fortune for Your Disaster, and his most recent book, A Little Devil in America. I'd like to thank Hanif. You made time to speak with me during the launch of your newest book. I've ordered and received mine. I'm diving in and I love it so far. Taking the time out to speak to me while your book was just about to launch says so much about your generosity. For that, sir, I am eternally grateful. To the audience, I'd like to thank you too for tuning in and lending us your time. Of course, if you like what you've heard, there's more. We are almost at the end of our mini-series featuring some amazing authors from around the world. And while today represents a great highlight for the year, and for this series of course, there is certainly more to come. Be sure to subscribe to our show to make sure you don't miss any of our great upcoming shows featuring amazing creators from the great continent and beyond it. You can find us wherever you do your listening. From iTunes to Spotify to Google Podcasts to iHeartRadio to many, many more. I welcome you to rate the show as well as to share the show with friends and family. And of course, if you enjoy some social sprinkled in with your experience, please follow us on our Instagram handle at Crowd54. Listen, like, share. This is your privileged host, Kandwani Moase. Until we meet again, thanks for listening.